You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again, the best damn liberty podcast that you've never heard of. I'll be your guide as we peer into the ridiculous reality that is our society and our government. Let's get to it. Welcome to Make Liberty Great Again. I'm your host, Cam Harless, and with me today is the host of The Hourly Struggle, friend of Fullerton's future, elite anti-government hacker, chronic malcontent, and the only man to ever come onto my show and give my beer to run for its money, Mr. Joshua Ferguson. How you doing, man? I'm all right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> one of, like, I, I should not say this in a recording, but one of my favorite things is to write the introduction for people. And the, the reason I love it is because when I interviewed John McAfee, it was the first time I wrote, an, wrote one like that, and he laughed so hard and talked about how that was the best introduction he's ever gotten. And I'm like, every time now. <laughs> yeah, no, I, pre- I appreciated that. That was good because the hardest part about being on or contributing content elsewhere is when people ask you to describe yourself. And I'm like, um, okay, well, there are certainly words that have to be used. And it's just that, that thing, you know, so, well, yeah, it was good. It was good. I've known you for what is it? Have you been in my little cadre of retarded people for the whole time or? No, no. I, I joined uh, around, I, I believe it was a, what had to have been before the one year anniversary, I think, because I won that. I still have the keychain for the front that <laughs> myself and the other Josh both won. Yeah. Um, so before that, but I didn't come over from from JSP. I was I was later. Gotcha. It was a friend of a friend who was like, hey, you should join this group. I'm like, oh, OK, I guess okay. I'm joining this group now. <laughs> well, you've been a good addition. And what's here's a secret that I've never told you or anyone else. Uh, I did run a randomizer for that first year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And the other Josh won. And I was just like, you know what? I really like this Josh Ferguson guy. I'm going to send it to him, too. <laughs> <laughs> legitimately, Sweet. legitimately how it happened. <laughs> so I actually in my pocket right now, you can actually look, you, know, you people can't see, but I'll explain. It. I actually have it on my keys still in my pocket right now. Yeah. So that must so. have been end of uh, the year of 2017, because that's when I started at the leather store. Yeah. And so yeah, that, I remember when you started there. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that it must have. So definitely, you know, three years now we've known each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's what I've appreciated about you is um, you are like I like we talked about before the show a little bit. I don't like using labels because most of the time there's not a lot of utility in them any anymore. Like if I tell you I'm an I, I, I'm an anarchist. That's the closest I'll I'll do for the most part. Um, I have very agoristic tendencies, but I'm not going to call myself an agorist. Um, I feel like the word libertarian has lost so much of its meaning now that it has little utility. Um, And I feel like capitalism, every time you say the word capitalism online, you then have to argue with people about what the word capitalism means because Marx essentially, you know, defined the word for everyone and then Rand and Rothbard and those other guys took it back, essentially, more or took it. I mean, the word libertarian started out on the left. Like, these are all... Correct. I mean, Jeff Dyson, I think did. it was uh, P, uh, Mance Rader or Pete, uh, 
who I, I did an episode where they talked about how libertarianism means nothing anymore. And that's even the problem. Even the term anarchist, that's hard because when you say that word in the zeitgeist, you think black, black Antifa because that's how right. it's bantered around in the press. You don't think Rothbardian. So, yeah, I, I agree. Most labels have very little utility anymore if yeah. they ever did. And so and, and that what I what I appreciate about you to get to the point why I was saying any of that was in libertarian groups and in the one that I started, um, one of those signifiers that has the most hate surrounded surrounding it is minarchist versus anarchist. And so you've been on the minarchist side of things and then a lot of other people on the anarchist side. And I am this enigma that will argue with whoever I disagree with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've always appreciated when you don't partake in the, the stupid arguments, but only go, hey, I'm going to make an actual argument for this. I'm not going to just say boring bullshit that everyone else says or get mad because I don't see the point in getting mad anymore. Um, I think Jeff Diced at the, uh, um, not Rockwell, I almost called it the Lou Rockwell event, the uh, Mises event in Orlando was talking about how most people are post-persuasion. And yeah, yeah. I, have I have stolen that term since then, and I describe myself as post-persuasion, not insofar as I can't be persuaded, but in that I am beyond persuading others. Okay. That, that, see, that, that's, the, that's almost – see, I, I waver on that because that's an issue for me of sort of the, between the, the black pill, white pill problem. Like, so mm -hmm. for those who don't know, if anyone's listening, uh, obviously most of your audience probably does, and you obviously know this better than I do, yeah. but red pill, blue pill, that's the matrix thing. Are you a nerd to the system? Are you aware the system exists and how it's corrupted? And then white pill is optimism, black pill is nihilism. And I waver on those two pretty regularly because really? on, on that idea, on the post-persuasion thing, I look at my local city, I look at my state, I look at the country in general, and I think... I don't think there's a point. Like, I don't know that I can persuade these people. But then the episode that I just cut last night that I'm probably, I'll probably release it tomorrow because I was going to do it today and time went away for me is basically about the, uh, how the police withhold records, how they lie to people and how accountability can actually force people to see the nuance in the system. You know, there, there is a way to get people to pay more attention. And that's very, that's a very white pilled message in that. But I'm like, yeah. but on other days, I'm like, there's no point. You can't convince people. You, you, I can't, I can't persuade these people that their roads suck because they throw all their money at bureaucrats. Like they don't care. Yeah. And so I, I waver on that all the time. I, I go from being absolutely, we need to persuade as many people as possible. Sort of the, uh, the Isaiah's job thing, the Albert Nock piece from the 1930s where it's the idea of talking to the remnant, like how yeah. these are the people we, there are people we can reach and we need to worry about reaching those. And then it's like, yeah, it's all going to burn. Who cares? I'm a collapsitarian today. And then the next day I'm like, no, no, let's reach as many people as possible. So no, I feel that I, I, I haven't, I haven't coalesced around one of those yet because it just depends on the level of optimism and caffeine in my system. <laughs> well, and, and when I say I'm post-persuasion, I mean it in the sense that not that I don't persuade people because I, I, I apparently according to Twitter and the hundred followers I got for uh, making a joke about uh, how it was really you and me, but how I talked someone out of voting for Joe Jorgensen. What have you done for the Liberty movement? Like I had people telling me, Oh, well you've per persuaded me not to put my, you know, not to vote, but to, to for president, but rather to, 
make myself free. And I've heard this a couple of times. And so I'm not saying that I'm against persuading people. I'm saying I don't waste my time anymore. Yeah, I think that's a valuable difference to make, probably because there are people that if you try, I mean, we've all done it. We're looking at Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you see a conversation, you see something, and you have an answer for it. And you're like, this is going to drag into a five-hour conversation, and this person's not going to be convinced at the end anyways, so delete. Yeah. And there's no point. But there are people you can reach. Um, a quick anecdote on that is actually many years ago, uh, my father-in-law, we used to talk politics all the time. He was a Goldwater Republican, very libertarian-leaning and we talk politics all the time. And I mean, four hours a day, almost every day, because I used to live yeah. with, with them. And one time, if you remember back in the uh, the Terry Schiavo case, the yes. lady that was on Life, Life Support, yeah. and he was very pro-life and I was very contract law. And I said, if you don't want your spouse to have control, then there are ways to solve that problem through contract law, through power of attorney and all those things. Now, obviously, there are some states that can overrule that, but we were talking about it. And then we had this conversation. We were like heated yelling at each other. It was that sort of conversation over the course of days. And at the end of it, he was like, wow, you've actually persuaded me. That's a really good argument. And it was like the biggest win in my life. It was like, this guy is an intellectual giant in my world. I mean, he he wasn't known to anybody else. He, he didn't really go out and do a lot of things that people would on a, with a good CV would know about. But he was a really smart man. He really yeah. just did care about research and data and ethics and integrity and all that. And it was like, I, not that I beat him, but like I persuaded him on this talking point, which means that even the people, even the giants can be persuaded. Yeah. And like, okay, that means that if people come in it, so my big difference now is, I will only try to persuade people that I think are acting in good faith. Yes. If I don't think you're, and I don't mean people that are like you, you discount people that are cynical or, or whatever, because I'm a, I'm sarcastic and cynical all the time and I'm yeah. still arguing or talking in good faith. I mean, you can just tell if that person's arguing in bad faith. They're a bad faith actor. I'm not going to waste my time. Yes. That person just doesn't care. I'm not going to waste my time. Oh, this person seems like they actually are interested. And, um, I had somebody who left a comment on my YouTube channel. I don't know where she came from, but she left a comment and it was like, thank you. This is the best piece I've seen on this issue. And I'm upset that my my peers don't understand the nuance of things. It's like, oh, wow. So I'm being used as an example. So now I, I feel like maybe I have to try to use that voice and maybe persuade people that want to be persuaded in, let's say, the vestiges of liberty or individualism. Right. And, and I... I believe in persuasion. Like, I don't know how much I did it in 2017 when you first met me online, uh, but I used to be the guy who would argue constantly. I would argue about the Constitution. I would argue about this, that, or the other. And I realized that 98% of those conversations were useless. There were two percent that were that were argued in the correct place in the correct way, and outsiders heard those arguments, and I persuaded not the person I was talking to, but people around. And I was correct. like, okay, every now and then there is a time for this. But when I cut out arguing with randos, with people that I could tell, because most people, when it comes to politics, are bad faith arguers. Like they're, they are not there to have a discussion. They are there to tell you that you're wrong and they're not good at convincing. They're there to win. Yeah. That's the whole, the long and the short of it. So I'm, when I say I'm post-persuasion, it, it, it's more than in more than one way. In one way, it's, I no longer feel the need 
to try to get 51% of the population to agree with me. Because I do feel that politics is a waste of my time, resources, and mental energy. I think my time is much better spent growing myself, making money, um, investing into my children, and making, you know, making myself free. And I think that the people who have inspired me the most to change and to accept freedom and liberty weren't the people who were arguing with me, weren't the people who were yelling from the street corners. It, were, it was the people that had a message, had thoughts that I cared about, who spoke eloquently or forcefully when needed, but it was the people who I wanted to emulate. It were They were the people who lived out their principles. And so I will make an argument all day long. I will go on Twitter and say that I'm not, I talked to people out of voting for Joe Jorgensen because I think that's an important argument to have. But then at that point, if everyone who responded poorly were all bad faith actors, there was not Correct. a single person on there that responded in any sort of realistic why. or kind way no questions yeah. well there's one question right before we got on here someone asked a question but most of it has just been like oh well i i convinced your your mom to vote for joe jorgensen and she kept saying yes 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 yeah it's that well that's the thing it's like <laughs> so so for me it's gotten to a point where i i like to take counterintuitive arguments now and argue with people who so i i take a little bit of a different tact with politics like i said in a second but i like to argue with people who really do believe what they believe uh look like the, the not people who support joe jorgensen out of a utilitarian thing for the libertarian party because i know some of them that are yeah. doing it in good faith because they care about ballot access or things i just don't give a shit about but you've also just out of curiosity is this a r-rated or g-rated oh you show? can say whatever you want okay okay i just i i i, I, I waver sometimes john mcafee so, changed me okay good 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 <laughs> So um, it's that issue where I know people who actually care about the Libertarian Party and trying to grow the party, and they're, they're doing it in a good faith way. I just disagree with their tactics. And then there are people who are just like the Joe bots, the people who have bats in their, in their usernames on Twitter yeah. and whatnot. And they just, they don't want to have a good faith argument. But what I like to do now is I like to argue with those people or argue with people who are very set in their views and then make them see the logical conclusions of what they're talking about or the actual ramifications of what they're talking about uh, because that's more interesting to me and it's also harder for me to do as far as politics go the reason i because i'm involved people don't know i'm involved in local politics insofar is that i write for a local blog i i ran for office more than once one that was just a, a trolling campaign uh, mm -hmm. to get somebody recalled out of office and then I deal with local tax issues. I mean, I, I run or I work with people who run campaigns against local taxes, trying to, to lower things. And the reason I care about politics isn't because I necessarily care about politics. Like, I don't care about the RDL nonsense. What I care about is most people who can be reached on liberty-leaning things pay attention to the issues that we care about during political seasons, during election seasons. And they're more receptive to arguments. Now, a lot of times you have to frame them in the argue the left from the left, right from the right, sort of that Scott Horton thing. Mm -hmm. But if you go to somebody on a random Tuesday in an off year and you try to explain to them why the roads suck, they probably don't care. But if it's during election season and everyone's talking about how, how they're going to fix it all, if you can prove how the people that are running are full of crap, 
all those other people start to pay more attention and start to listen. And you can reach more people that way. You can talk to people about this is why like during the everyone was voting in the primary here in my town, they were voting for school bonds that was going to raise everybody's property taxes, it was going to rob everybody of more money. So bureaucrats and the school board and what have you can make more money. And when we ran the campaign against it, we were like, this is the 1100 people that whose salaries and pensions are over $100,000 in an area with a median household income of 65k. Like, this is why it's so expensive. This is why they want to raise your taxes. And people went, wait, what? So there is a utility in it to try to reach people without being the rah-rah Republican, rah-rah Democrat, rah-rah Libertarian. I mean, with a conversation we were having that sort of led to uh, that, that that joke of, you know, convincing a friend to, vote again, to not vote for Joe was actually a serious <laughs> conversation. Yeah. I mean, it was a, the, 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 the serious utility of... What happens if you vote for Joe? What that signals the Libertarian Party yeah. versus what happens if you vote for Biden or Trump and what that signals to society? And you can have those conversations in an election year. In an off year, it's not as easy because you don't know who's running. Yeah. So. Well, and my thing is politics is very real. And it's like, yes, everyone perks their heads up a little more around election season. I do think that Trump changed things, though, because politics is always now it's always something correct i think it was already heading that way because we were hearing the personal was political a long time ago i mean Such that was going back a totalitarian lie yeah well hillary clinton was talking about that back when her husband was president you know it takes a village and all that nonsense so that's always been there but it's the mask has slipped so much under yeah. trump that everything is political now and so that actually makes for like people like me, that actually makes my job easier because now I can point to the hypocrisies and point to the right. lies and point to how it doesn't work. And some people, not a lot, but some people will be, will be more willing to listen and pay attention. And again, once you start using counterintuitive arguments, when you talk about, you know, hey, let's look at voting for Joe Jorgensen, you're like, well, let's look at not. <laughs> Here's <Yeah>. why. <laughs> it can lead to better conversations. And that friend of ours, I mean, he was really sort of confused to begin with. It was like, well, no, 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 no. I, this is why I have to do it. And I'm like, no, no, no. And here's why you're wrong. And then you and I were both going back and forth on it. He's <laughs> like, yeah, okay, you guys convinced me. I, I didn't expect that outcome. Well, I think the funniest thing was that he, he said, um, okay, wow, wow. I'm a uh, I'm the, I'm the abused spouse in this situation. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're abusing me and I'm just going along with it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah. my point when I say that the answer isn't politics, isn't that you can't utilize politics as a means to spread liberty. It's that using, okay, how to make this clear, that you using the political system to make us more free isn't going to happen. However, using the reality of politics looking at the situation that we're in the murder the death the the theft all of that is a great way showing that hypocrisy like you said is a great way to talk to people about how to be free yeah I, okay yeah i agree so i i get little uh iffy on, on the issue or a little bitchy really on the issue because the anarchist take sort of the michael malice take just grinds my gears simply of the i don't vote because this is because it's just justifying the system i'm like dude the government shuts you out of your work they shut you out of your gym they shut you out of everything you wanted to do whether you voted or not the well, system that's exists. his point his you know? point is the system exists and that's and like, have you have you read his piece that was in the guardian i i, I have my my point my problem with it was that the system exists 
voting defensively, like voting to actually use the system to get freedom is dumb. Like you're not going to. It's the I'll use the Republican argument. Uh, I think Peggy Noonan said it a long time ago, like when Republicans aren't in power, that's when they actually care about, you know, limited government. And the problem is like, we need the House. Okay, here's the House. We need the Senate. Okay, here's the Senate. We need the White House. Okay, here's all three. We need the Supreme Court. Oh, get the hell out of here. You know, that's what that's the game that ends up being played. My problem is I vote defensively yeah. because the government exists, whether I vote or not. The government locked my wife out of work, whether I voted or not. If I was a non-voting ANCAP, congratulations, I still can't go to the gym. Yeah. I still couldn't go to the movies or anything else. They still did all these totalitarian things. But when something comes up to vote and I vote against more government overreach, that's one more voice saying no. Yeah, I'm not trying to use the government to push my beliefs on others or to change things or to take people's rights away or whatever. But unless we're talking about repealing the 19th, and then I'm all about that. <laughs> but it's let's, let's get rid of the that, 13th first. It's 13th, 17th, 19th. <laughs> I got a list. Uh, but it's that thing where I when it, when a new tax comes up, not only did I vote against the school, but I have a, I have a 1.7 or 1.25 percent sales tax coming up in my city. Uh, it's a 17% increase on our current sales tax uh, on, on election day this year. I can stay home and not vote, or not only am I going to vote against it, I could possibly work on the campaign to help people fight that to save everybody money. And, in, and, in, and at the same time, a little bit of a collapsitarian mindset of screw the city out of the $20, $25 million a year they're going to gild from people in order to prop up their pensions and their extravagant nonsense. So I, I feel like there is a utility in using politics defensively. De- defensively, yeah. I think offensively, it's it's almost a fool's errand unless you're in the right strata, the right class. Like Ron Paul to Rand Paul, like those guys can use it offensively to a point. But even what most of what they do is defense. Yeah, most of what they do is no, 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 no. This is what we want to get rid of. I mean, sure, Thomas Massey puts his bill up every year, the one line bill to get rid of the Department of Education. But even that's defensive. That's getting rid of government. That's yeah. getting rid of regulation. And I see a lot of utility with that. The other side of it, no, man, I'm 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 not gonna knock on doors. I'm not gonna, you know, kiss hands and shake <laughs> babies to to try to you know, gain popular approval because I need fifty one point fifty point one percent or whatever to to get people to to let me do what I think should be done. Nah, that's for the birds. Well in in that for me uh, yeah, the birds were all killed by Ronald Reagan. But <laughs> That's my thing is I if you don't if you vote and you're like especially locally like I get that if you want to do that Mm -hmm. if you want to vote defensively by all means do that I do think that there is little to zero utility in federal elections see I I would I'm I'm mixed on this one because and I'm going to sort of dive into the conversation that we had the other night Um, I'm mixed on this because of Trump. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, because I agree with you. I think I live in California. My vote doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter who I vote for. And the, uti- and the and there there almost seems like there's no utility in voting. for Now, senator doesn't matter at all. Like the senators, it's always between two Democrats. It doesn't matter yeah. at all in my in my area. The Republican versus Democrat, you know, uh, House level in my area is, is no different. They're all neo. They're all basically warmongers and, and, and what have you. So there's no point there. In the presidency, I felt the same way because, I mean, really, if you're going to tell me there's a huge difference for freedom between John McCain and Barack Obama or Mitt Romney or any of those, I'm going to laugh at you. Yeah. But I look at Trump and I waver because, like, if you look at the three choices, I, I did this the other night and I said, uh, well, what's my argument, my argument, my libertarian argument for, for Joe Biden? <laughs> 
there isn't one. Yeah. And then like the libertarian argument for Joe Jorgensen is what? It's the ballot access, the, you know, grow the party, all that nonsense. But what it really does is it rewards a libertarian party yeah. that wants to push Marxism, that wants to push leftism. And it lines the pockets of. Yeah. It, it lines the pockets of, of technocrats and, and cronies and all of that. The people who have used Gary Johnson's campaign as a bludgeon against, you know, liberty people for the last four years, the people who uh, who scream at you for being racist if you tell an off-color joke. I mean, that that's the people you're rewarding by giving them more votes because they're like, look, we got the more votes, votes we ever did under Gary Johnson. And if Jorgensen does that, then it just rewards their behavior. Yes. So that's I don't see that as a, as a net positive. It actually pushes the Libertarian Party, which I feel could be at the local level a useful tool, pushes it in the wrong direction. Well, and even when it comes to the Libertarian Party, for me, the, especially the national one, I tried to join a local libertarian party at one point four years ago and oh my god it was one of the worst experiences of my life sitting in a restaurant with those people like oh it was you have no idea how much autism was in that room yes i do (laughs) i i went to i went to orlando (laughs) i was at the national convention i was at the state convention oh i know Um, i have a vendetta against the libertarian party especially nationally because right now, if you Google libertarian, one of the first things that's going to come up is the Libertarian Party, if not the first thing, or probably okay. a bunch of articles about Joe Jorgensen, yeah, right? Fair. Maybe. But still related, still related to the LP. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the Libertarian Party who, in every way, embarrasses and brings down the libertarian philosophy. Like you don't yeah. you don't go to the Libertarian convention or watch 2016's James Weeks moment and have normal people go, oh, hey, these people might be able to represent me. Everything that I see that comes out of the LP National is disadvantageous to people who hold the libertarian philosophy. And I despise that. I do. I that's why the word libertarian has so little utility now is because of the libertarian party. Well, I'll I'll go you one better, though, because the problem I have with the libertarian party right now is that in my life and we're, we're pretty close to the same age, but in my life, there has not been a more tyrannical moment with government that I can envision in a, in states nationwide. I mean, the federal government really hasn't done, everyone blames the federal government because it's yeah. easy, but like Trump didn't lock my state down. Gavin Newsom did. Yeah. You know, my, my, my county did that. My state did that. I mean, but I, we're living through times where they're shutting people out of work. They're, they're denying people the ability to go to funerals. They're, they're causing people to cancel weddings. They're doing all these things that are just, you know, if not borderline straight out tyrannical. And where's the Libertarian Party on all this? How long did it take Joe Jorgensen to say anything about it? uh, Too long. Uh, my my the California Libertarian Party I don't think talked about it even on Twitter for months. Yeah. Uh, locally that was the same problem. Like nobody was talking about these things. Nobody was having conversations. There's there's no like we're we're talking on a podcast right now. How many Libertarian podcasts are out there? Where is the Libertarian Party? messaging to these people messaging to this veritable army of, of autists who can actually get <laughs> messages out they're they're nowhere to be seen it's it's just sort of ridiculous and it's really frustrating so i i see the problem that they're not even capable of utilizing the biggest red pill moment in my lifetime yeah 
to push liberty, even if you don't want to push the Libertarian Party to push liberty. And that's why I wavered, going back to my previous point, that's why I waver on the whole Trump thing. Because I don't care, and this is where libertarians get mad at me, like I don't care about Trump's record as whether or not it's libertarian. I don't care about his his record. I, I don't get me wrong, I care about what he does. Yeah. I do. But that has nothing to do with waking people up to liberty. Trump being president, he can sit on the, in the Oval Office and twiddle his thumbs. And by virtue of him being president, the Marxist left drops the mask, freaks out, and all of this stuff comes out. There was just a story or a thing that I saw today. I got, I got to fact check it, but I think I saw today and it said the L.A. County Board of Health lady, the the one who – I don't want to be mean, but I'm going to uh, – the one who looks like she's already mummified. Oh, the oh Beetlejuice uh, lady. No, no, no. That's, yeah, yeah, that, that's Lori Lightfoot. She's the second Beetlejuice la- lady. Because there are two of these people. <laughs> yeah, and if, if, if a third one pops up, then Beetlejuice actually shows up. <laughs> so, uh, but this lady said, allegedly, I got to look into it, that they expect school to restart after the election. Like, what? that's the idea that they don't, they're not even hiding it. Now, the laughable premise on that is that, well, after the election, that'd be November, and mid-November is what? Oh, right, the middle of flu season. Yeah. Like, that's the start and really the impetus of, so the worst possible time for people to be gathering is when it's going to be okay to gather because, the, you know, the election's over. Yeah. So it's all just electioneering. It's all just, you know, trying to disfranchise people and trying to make people mad and all those nonsense. And that's all happening, I believe, because Trump is president. Yeah. Well, and, and, and when it comes to Trump, like, he's a mixed bag. There is a lot that I hate about Trump. He's been pretty terrible about the Second Amendment. People may go, oh, well, you don't need bump, bump stocks. Bump stocks aren't firearms. Who gives a shit? He, <laughs> that is bad. That was a bad thing he did. He's continued. He's let, he's let the wars continue in Yemen, in Iraq, and in Afghanistan. These are bad things. But he's a mixed bag in that he, unlike Obama and Bush, hasn't started any new wars. Correct. He may not have brought like I, I saw someone. I think it, it was either Gareth Porter or someone else who talked about how Obama technically took out more troops from Afghanistan or something. But he also put more in. So right. That's a right. And, <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. That, <laughs> I see. I see the the good in less death, no matter what. And so, insofar as there has been less war being made and created by Trump, that's a good thing. But honestly, the best thing about Trump is what you're talking about is the ma- how he's made the mask, the masks drop of the corporate press, the media, and uh, Hollywood, the academia. Have you ever mm-hmm. read Lawrence Tribe's Twitter? No, not recently, but I have. You need to check this out because you know several years ago, before social media. You'd hear of a Harvard law professor saying something and it would be mmm. erudite and it would be, oh, we listen to these people. But now you can oh, yeah, read yeah, his yeah. Twitter feed and he's just as much much of a jackass as everyone else on Twitter. And that's good for people to see. Oh, the whole Brian Stetler thing on CNN, like watching the talking heads, watching the people from the the bastions of the old press and the and the, and the corporate and the cable news and all those people that were always so serious and so amazing. And you're like, no, 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 they're just a bunch of petty dickholes. And seeing that happen, that has Trump's presidency, not Trump himself, not Trump's actions, Trump's presidency and the response to it has red pilled more people than I can even imagine. And we'll go back to the beginning of his, before he was even elected. I mean, people were talking about impeaching him back before he was a nominee. Yeah. 
But remember the whole Access Hollywood tape? Yes. I had so many women pissed about that. Not now I, I talked to a lot of libertarian and more conservative people as well, but they were pissed about it, not because they were upset at Trump, but because they were upset at the press. Because at the time, one of the biggest books on the market and one of the biggest films on the market was Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. And like, you mean to tell me in an era of every woman fantasizing about Christian Grey, who was Donald Trump 30 years ago, yeah. a seemingly attractive billionaire man who could do whatever he wants, he uttered the phrase, they let you grab him by the pussy, which is an absolute truism in the world he lives in. I live near Hollywood. You will not believe what women let celebrities do to be near celebrities. And people lost their minds. And I had women that were like, this is bullshit. Like, obviously, he lives in a different world. He lives in a completely different culture. He's a billionaire. He he gets people to throw themselves at them on the premise of money and sycophants nonsense yeah. and all of those things. And it just the virtue of him running red-pilled people to the lies of the press. And it's just steamrolled. And then you had the FISA course and all of those things that Kavanaugh. happened. Where Kavanaugh, where people woke up to what was happening. The FISA court thing, you're like, now people take Edward Snowden way more seriously having watched what the FISA court did to Trump. Yeah. Now, that may help us with the MAGA bots, but the reality is, is that it's because he's president, because he's not just that magnanimous guy who's part of the military industrial complex who will shake your hand and then bomb your enemy for you, you know, or, or help you take an oil field over or some nonsense. And to your point about less war and less death, Nobody can argue with a straight face, honestly, that if Hillary Clinton had won the presidency or if Jeb Bush had won the presidency, that we wouldn't be bombing Syria, that we wouldn't be in a straight out war, if not proxy war with with Iran, Mm -hmm. that we wouldn't be offering more than just support, but probably material boots on the ground in Yemen and, and, and. I mean, Hillary Clinton was the architect of the Libya problem, what, 112 plus tomahawks, you know, into that country. Laughing at the knife rape of Gaddafi. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's who he was up against. And so there's no question that more people would have died, more suffering would have happened, more terrible. Now, that's a very low bar to set. Yes. But we're talking about the presidency. That's a very low bar to set. But that's still a good thing. It's still a net positive. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm going to go rah, rah, Trump. But when I look at the options and I go, okay, well, Joe Biden is that problem and Trump is less that. And Trump actually causes the corporate press to to drop the mask, causes academia to drop. I mean, we watched this COVID thing happen. Again, I think a lot of the response to, to, the, to the COVID thing is political. I think it's especially in the blue states, it's very political, which is why you read the press and they're like, look at how great Cuomo was. You're like the guy who was telling you to go to to ride the subway and go to Chinatown during the festivals back in February. through COVID patients into nursing homes. Yeah. And then, yeah, through COVID patients in the nursing homes, all that, like they extol that guy's virtues and then bemoan Trump because Trump didn't stop Cuomo from being Cuomo. And it that right there causes people to be red pilled, causes people to wake up and pay more attention. And that for for us, for liberty, for for individual freedom, that's a net positive. That's a big win yeah. just by virtue of him being president. And so it's really hard for me to not want to. I mean, I'm not going to put a sign in my yard or anything else, but when I had to choose my vote, I'm like, well, shit. Voting for Joe Biden's a waste of time. Voting for George Jorgensen, I, I don't feel like gains me anything for liberty, but causing the mask to slip more? I mean, the idea that if Trump won the popular vote, not to try to persuade you, obviously, but the idea that if you won the popular vote and you took that electoral college argument away from the left, the idea that he actually, they read themselves into a coma for four more years. I mean, I don't know. That that seems like it could have positive impulses. And I'm actually gotten to a point where I'm, I'm almost too charitable with Trump, and I admit that. Yeah. Like the bump stock ban. I 
absolutely tyrannical. Had, I feel like he had no authority to do that, violates the Second Amendment. I'm on board with all of the every gun rights and infringement. I get all of that. However, that was after San, that was after Las Vegas, which was a major shooting. Yeah. He banned bump stocks, which let's be honest, are pretty terrible devices. Okay. They're, they're by and large, they 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 lower your accuracy. They're fun it toys. Was a concession. But, they're, but it was a concession to something that I could I, I'm not saying I agree with it. But what happened after that? Nothing. Everyone shut the hell up. There was no major bills pushed through Congress. I mean, states did their thing, like California, of course, banned a bunch of stuff because California is a, a one-party state under the, under the socialists. But at the federal level, what else happened? Nothing. He banned something that was, I, I wish he hadn't, but it wasn't a big thing. And then it went away. Now, I feel like that ban should go away. I feel like the ATF should go away. Yeah. But... I, I looked at that and I'm like, that felt a little too much out of the deal for me. Like, yeah, okay, I'm going to negotiate. I'm going to give them something so they feel like they won something that affects almost nobody. And then it's going to stop. And then it's going to go away. And then we'll move on to something else because people have the memories of goldfish. You know, then we're going to immediately position to something else. And then we'll go into something else and that's it. You know, so... And maybe that's just me giving way too much credit to it, but that's how I saw that. I'm like, wow, everyone shut the hell up. Remember Sandy Hook? Yeah. Remember how much federally they were trying to ban everything after that? Mm -hmm. Vegas was, I mean, it wasn't kids, but Vegas was way worse than that. And it, and the bump stock thing was, was the issue. I mean, yeah. Congress, they, they were rewriting laws to allow uh, gun manufacturers to be sued for uh, firearm violence after Sandy Hook. I mean, it was way different. Well, so, And I, I sometimes wonder if I'm too charitable towards Trump, but I'm not too charitable in so much as that way somewhat with the war and not making new ones maybe a little too charitable more than i should be um maybe but i don't know um but the reason i'm charitable is because the dude is a fucking sniper on twitter he's a troll mm -hmm. the the fact is i definitely see the utility of trump's presidency because for starters he started out the gate by kneecapping the bushes by taking mm -hmm. out a dynasty that everyone just assumed would continue. And then he followed that up in November by taking out the Clintons. These are both great things. And also, even though he's hilarious and has a very interestingly weird syntax that makes me laugh every time he talks, beyond that, a great amount of people, like you'll talk to conservatives, and if they're not just straight up Trump people, but they're Trump people, but they're not like, the robot Trump people, they're like, well, yeah. he's not great. He doesn't do everything. Uh, he's kind of an idiot, but, you know, he's better than. But the fact is, more people than ever before are looking at a president and going, why do we give a buffoon like this the power to make war? The power to tax us, the power, etc. So all of the red pills are great. And I I cheer him for making those things happen. That's a white pill. I'm a white pill person because I have yeah. to because my brain goes towards the black pill and I can't live there. But yeah. it comes when it comes to me and with voting, it's not that I can't. I want to cheer when Trump does good. I want to cheer when the president, the office of the presidency is demeaned to the point where it should be because it's been overinflated for over 200 years. But I have to ask myself, 
when it comes to voting, when it comes to the deaths that will continue. Like if if Trump pulls out of Afghanistan, it, it, like I keep seeing reports that he's going to do, if he pardons Edward Snowden, Julian Assange, especially Ross Ulbricht, I'll vote for that motherfucker in a second. I don't care. I want him to know you did good. Here's mm-hmm. a treat. <laughs> you did good. But as of this moment, I can't square the circle of do the ends justify the means? Do I well, want so, to take so, part of this? So that's the thing. Is like I, I look at it as different, different means or different ends. Because for me, yes, if you vote, if you were, to, I'm not saying I, I, I would vote for Trump. I have not even decided this yet. But this is just me from an argument of a standpoint. If I vote for Trump, Trump and his camp take that as a win for Trump, as a mandate for Trump to do whatever he wants. And that has some dangerous implications, obviously, for anybody in presidency. But for me, it's more of a middle finger to the Marxists and the left who have have lost their minds and lost all sense of decency and human dignity over the last four years. To That's why I voted them, for Trump. Yeah, and that, but that uh, right there is is the is the ends to me like i know that whoever wins is gonna even if they win by one vote is gonna take it as a mandate to do whatever they want and the opposite side of that is that if, if biden wins the republican party becomes the milk toast boilerplate mitt romney nonsense that they have been for at least four years and then we'll see who they run in four years but if trump wins the left loses its mind more and descends further into chaos and the neocons lose more favor in in, in the republican circles and that I don't know that the ends there may justify the means. I haven't decided yet. I'm trying to look at things both counterintuitively and not like I don't. I don't give Trump credit for a lot of things, but like the the not with like the whole 4D chess and all that horseshit. Yeah, that's horseshit. But but I'll give you an example of like the the Chinese tariffs. I was absolutely in favor of them, and because I I actually approve of tariffs in one capacity. I live in California. I live in the U.S. We are very regulated. We have an EPA, FDA, and, 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 and. You can't start a business without some county commissioner up your ass for six months. You you think it's going to cost you $100,000 to build a business? You better have $300,000 in six months to spare. I mean, that's legitimately, it takes forever to open a coffee shop out here. It's so retarded. So the issue is, is that we kneecap our own entrepreneurial spirit. We kneecap our own businesses. We kneecap our own ability to produce things all of those issues. And then we outsource it to a, basically a glorified third world country who uses barely above slave labor, if not slave labor, yeah. who pollutes, every, like, we care about the EPA, don't mind all the sludge we're dumping into the Chinese rivers. Like, China has seven of the 10 most polluted cities in the world now. I mean, all these things that we do by virtue of having the ability to just offshore everything and just destroy someone else's environment. And a tariff is a way to make people pay the actual cost for the legislation they believe in. Oh, you believe in a, in a minimum wage? Well, we're going to look at how much they're charging for labor, and then we're going to add a tariff to compensate for what it would cost if we hired American workers. If you believe that's a living wage or you know, adjust it for inflation or different markets or what have you, I mean, there are arguments for that, but we're going to add the, the environmental cost that you laid on American businesses. We're going to add that cost to the cost of the product that comes out of China and do those sort of things to make people realize what they're actually voting for, what they're actually supporting, what they're actually kneecapping. Oh, you actually want 
solar panels? Well, now you have to buy them and what it costs to make them in the US and not the Chinese government subsidized versions that you're buying right now. I mean, those sort of things make sense to me. Mm -hmm. Now, people are like, oh, it's anti-free market. We don't have a free market. The world doesn't have a free market. China literally owns most of the companies or the CCP owns most of the companies that are in China or they have a heavy hand in it. They control, their sensors control what movies go in there, all of that stuff. And so there has to be a way to push back on that just from the perspective of we believe in these things here. We demand these things here. So if we're going to demand those things, we should demand those things in our market, not just in the people who participate in the market in this one area. And, th I, and that's where I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm anti-open borders for very much the same reason, because we don't live in a world where things are equal. I know libertarian, the libertarian party likes to say like, it's a, we're, what's their fuck, what's fucking quote that they say? We'll settle for nothing less than a world set free in our lifetimes. Like, get the hell out of here. You can't set a local city council free. You're going to set China free. You're going to set, you know, South Africa free, all, all these other places. You're going to solve all of these worldwide problems. Get the hell out of here. What a strange idea anyway, when it comes to libertarianism, because libertarianism is not globalism. It's individualism. No. But let me ask, the tariffs, the way you're talking about them, you are more interested in having the people of America feel the weight of them or the Chinese Communist Party? I want – well, I don't care about the Chinese Communist Party. That's the problem for China. I want – for the most part, unless they try to fight with us. I want the American people who vote for the regulatory system and the regulatory burdens that they claim to want. I want them to feel the weight of those regulatory burdens. I don't think you should be able to force me to pay $15 an hour to an employee and then you get to go buy it from a company in China that's paying $2 an hour because now you're making it where I literally can't compete. Do you think that works out though? Do you think that they, that people feel the the pain and they go, oh, it's our regulations that are the issue? No, 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 no. You have to make the case on it, absolutely. I mean, the person who inflicts the terrorist has to say that directly, like, this is why we're doing it, because you have to make that case. I, But I do know that monetarily it does cause problems. I knew a guy many years ago who was a toy importer. He used to import toys in, from Japan, uh, various other places. He, he was big in like the anime licenses before anime really became as popular as it is now. Yeah. It was still a very, very subset of a subset. Uh, you'd only find anime stuff in comic shops and now it's or little Tokyo and now it's everywhere. Um, Sadly. And he import. Yeah. Well, he imported toys and this is back when, when, you know, Walmart was to just become the, the largest toys, toy seller in America. And he had this, this toy set and it was like, I want to say it cost like $9 to make, like that's how much it cost to make in, in like, Japan or Korea or wherever he was making it. And he went to Walmart and they were like, absolutely. We love that. We want to sell it, but we're going to sell it for $9.99. Like we'll, we'll buy them from you, but we're going to sell them for $9.99. He's like, but I, I, it cost me $9 to make them. Like I, I can't do that. Like for, if you're going to sell it for $9.99, that means you're going to buy it for me for how much? And they're like, like $4, $5. So now his only choice was to then take that product, make it in China and drop the labor costs, drop the environmental regulations, go somewhere where he could avoid all of those things, all of those added costs in order to sell it because that's what the market demanded. Walmart knew their customers. Their customers were not going to pay more than 10 bucks for this thing. And because they knew they could get it for $10. Now, if you take that, that out of the equation, you take that option out, like, well, I want this for $10. Cool story. Uh, we can make it for $10, but you have to get rid of 
this labor law. You have to get rid of this environmental law. These are the reasons. And I'm not saying I want more government, but if I was going to do tariffs on things, I would I would do it like packaging. Like um, again, this is it's using government to 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 wake people up to government. Like if the government's going to allow regulation or allow these things, which I'm against. Don't get me wrong. I want all that stuff to go away, but it exists. So I'm looking at the system as it exists. I want it labeled like our food packages. I want to be like environmental regulations, 15%, uh, labor laws, this, this, OSHA, this much, all these things. So when you pick up a product, you're like, why is this not $10? And you're like, oh, that's why. You know, it, it, maybe that's a little pipe dreamy, you know, on, on the far end of it. It sounds like you should buy a, a little machine that makes stickers and start doing that. <laughs> start doing that on all the different things. But the problem is it doesn't work though because those costs don't exist. Like you'd have to figure out what it would cost if it was made in the US and then you know do all the all the math and all that. But those costs don't impact us. Nobody realizes that. Nobody sees it. And I think that's the thing. It's like in California, we have some of the highest gas taxes in the US oh, yeah. because of many, many regulatory reasons. How much is your gas right now? Last, I, I don't know. I, I think it's like between three fifty and four bucks a gallon. Ridiculous. Ours is under two dollars. So, yeah, it'll go back up to about usually. Well, this year has been different because of the whole lockdown and nobody's going anywhere. Usually around summer, it's it's between four fifty and five bucks. Yeah. So, and that's and that's oftentimes basic. I remember when it was like that after two thousand eight, when they had that the horrible gas crisis or whatever it was. And it would cost me eighty mm-hmm. something dollars to fill up my tank every week to drive to work, where I barely made more than that. Yeah, yeah. And but I had to work. I had to. I had to have the money. But that's the thing is that people don't know where that money goes, though, and that that's the other problem. It's like with the, the gas taxes, we have a sticker on every gas pump, but it's like it's not on the gas pump. It's actually up. Like so, if you're looking at the gas pump where you pull the handle off, it's like it's up on the side around the corner, and you have to like look for it to find out how much you're paying per gallon in taxes. And nobody knows where that goes because we're so like we're not only are we just inert in the system, but we're so ignorant of the system that we don't know what costs, why things cost the way they cost, why things are able to be the way they are. And so when libertarians argue against tariffs, they're arguing it from this this false free market perspective where uh, it's the robber baron problem to a point where it's like Standard Oil used to, they'd go into an area and they'd depress the cost of gasoline so the competition couldn't afford to stay in business and then they'd buy that gas station out and raise the prices back up. It's that sort of market manipulation and country Countries, wholesale countries do that. Yeah. And we do it as well to a point, obviously. I mean, Boeing versus Airbus and all the subsidies we give and all that crap. But you have to make people aware of it if you ever want it to go away. And that's so when I saw that, I'm like, well, I get why people argue against that with him, but I can see a positive. Yeah. I can see a net positive on that. Yeah, I think I think that really what you're arguing for is education with a squeeze. People need to be need to feel it and forced education. Any government action should require people to feel what that government action is. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't love tariffs. Part of it is because, you know, you end up paying for that. I don't want to end up paying more for things. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather us have better practices, but I mean, I'm, I'm never going like, that's me. I come to libertarianism the non-aggression principle, all of that from a state of morality, not a state of pragmatism. No, I, I get that. No, no, I'm, I'm just, what I'm saying is I am never going to have a conversation about the deficit. 
or the $220 trillion in unfunded liabilities. I'm never going to have those number conversations or necessarily talk about how they're putting our grandchildren in debt. That doesn't interest me. And so when it comes to these issues, I'm against tariffs because I don't, you know, it directly affects me. It directly affects like these, the, the, the Green New Deal. I can talk all day about how that hurts the poor more than anyone else. Like, like I've talked to people about with uh, taxes on cigarettes to make people smoke less. Do you know what hardcore smokers do when the prices of their cigarettes go up? Do they stop smoking cigarettes? No. No, they stop buying necessities. Yeah. And so, like, that is usually where my, my arguments go to. And so some of the, the higher mathematical ideas, economic ideas of libertarianism, though very important, aren't typically my shtick just because I think it's boring. <laughs> but I but understand no, I, I that. the idea of putting a squeeze on people to force them to do what they say they want. Yes, but that squeeze is also from a moral standpoint, too, because libertarians are very good at talking about the war on Yemen and talking about the genocide that's happening there. And they're very good at talking about uh, the the. I don't have a problem with private prisons as much as I have a problem with how they're run in a police state system. But they'll talk about the private prisons using uh, basically slave labor because they're not paying they're paying them pennies on the dollar for the work they're doing. And libertarians are very good at talking about those things and very good at ignoring the Uyghurs in China that are being forced to do slave labor or the people that, you know, they just bring in uh, when they built the the giant bird's nest for the Olympics, they just took over this whole area and made these people essentially slave laborers and then pushed them out in the fields. And they're very good at ignoring those things. So we can have cheaper products here in the U.S. under this faux premise of this. I understand the the Friedman thing and all that, where it's like the cost of living here is different than the cost of living in Indonesia. So you could pay somebody way less there and have the same you know, sort of equity yeah. across the board. Like it would cost, like it costs me a lot more to live where I live than it costs you where you live. And so cost of livings are different and you adjust that. But we don't even have those conversations. We're like, we want a cost of living of a certain level in the US. And obviously we baseline it with stupidity like fight for 15. But we want this basic standard of living in the US. And then we're like, oh, and by the way, we have no problem with if people are literally enslaved to give us what we want right. elsewhere. And tariffs are very and tariffs. The reason I support tariffs, honestly, is because uh, they were one of the best weapons utilized to end the international slave trade. The British East India Company controlled over, I think, it was eighty percent or more of the international trade at the time in the world, uh, using essentially the, the British Navy. It was the British Navy and the British East India Company, and they utilized that power and the power of tariffs and the power of economic warfare to stop countries from literally enslaving people to help end chattel slavery in a lot of areas. And it was used for a net good. I mean, anybody who argues that that's not a net good is just bonkers. <laughs> like it was used for a net good. You're like, but tariffs are evil. Yeah, but they were also helped. They also were utilized to not that they weren't the only thing, but they were utilized to help end slavery. You know, trade deals can be used for those things. And I think that is an important thing we need to look at when you're looking at very complex, very problematic situations with nation states and what have you. Because 
uh, you talked about earlier in the group we were in how I'm, a, I'm sort of a minarchist. Now, at heart, I'm yeah. an anarchist. From a practical standpoint, I just don't see the utility of it because it's the idea of the government will cease to exist and we'll all get along because the non-aggression principle. And you're like, what about cartels? It's like, oh, well, they we legalize drugs and prostitution. That would be a problem. Cartels literally kidnap people yeah. for money. They literally, like, part of their business model is to violate the, like, they kidnap women and sell them into sex slavery. That's not prostitution. They don't want to pay them. Like, they, they violate the nap to make money. Unless you're going to go to war with them, that's a problem we have to look at. And it's a very complex, very intricate system. And I'd rather see libertarians look at things or anarchists or what have you look at things on the actual practical worldview i actually like the agorist mindset of people who just like check out like i don't care about politics i'm gonna take care of my family take care of what's good for me and everything i just happen to live in Southern california it's not realistic you. like there's nowhere i can go locally where well, that's and, and just so you know those are the worst anarchists anyone who pretends that am in kapistan will not have problems is out of their damn mind I think one of my favorite arguments, though, is when people argue against the concept of anarchy is when they go, oh, well, you know, if there's anarchy, then there will be regional warlords who do this, that and the other. And they, they make all these arguments that now. from, oh, well, if there's anarchy, it'll be the status quo. People will be people will be shot in the streets. They're not now. Yeah. But if my if my wife goes to work and has two clients, the state will throw her into a government sanctioned rape cage. I Yeah, it's, it's this idea that sec, that violence that you think you think the Democrats and Republicans aren't, aren't waging sectarian violence on each other for their for their various religions. I mean, yeah, yeah it, I, I don't I don't have that argument. I just hate the anarchists that look at it like, you know, and Kapistan will be amazing. Yeah. And everything. Will I, be awesome. I agree with like, you. Those people you, are idiots. Are <laughs> but that and that's why I do. I I am more along the lines of the agorist argument of things. Like I know one of the things I say a lot is the only person who can make you free is you. That's it. You know, as malice has said in the past, you can't spend yourself rich. You can't vote yourself free. These are these. This is true. You can't you can't vote. They're never going to hold a vote to be like, hey, do you do you want to not do this state thing anymore? They're not going to do that. But no. I, my job is to take care of my wife and my four soon-to-be-five children. My job is to make a future for them. My job is to do everything in my ability to eliminate the government from my life. I think that one of the most interesting takes I've heard in recent days actually came from Mincius Mulbug. Do you know Mincius Mulbug or uh, Curtis Yarvin? I listened to him, I think it was with... Um... On Man Beyond the Wall, I think, was what I heard him well, recently. Well, what he kind of talked about is how it's it's more or less the agorist idea, but he was saying that the best way to live in the world we live in, in this, with the states we live in, with how things are run, is to live in America and act like you're an expat. Follow the laws you want to follow. Keep your keep your nose nose down. Don't get in trouble. But do what you can to make to live the life you want to live. Yeah, I, I think that's the hardest part about it's. It's also like sort of a gray man mentality. The hardest part about that is it's very different in different areas. Oh yeah, like it's very it's very it's very easy to say that in certain parts of the country and very very impossible or seemingly impossible in other areas and that's where it gets really hard because i look at like i want to get out of where i live i want to leave california like like every every rational california wants to leave here unfortunately we can't just split off the, the crazies and keep the good part of the state but you know it, it, unfortunately that's not going to happen but i look at it and go 
I can't survive. My wife can't go to work. You can't do this. You can't do that. I mean, it's, it's really infuriating and yeah. there's only so many laws you can avoid before, you know, they really just, they throw you in a rape cage, throw you in a government sanctioned rape cage. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing I agree with you. And I think that that's part of the concept is to, to move where you have more freedom and can ignore more and can do more. And there are a lot of people who are doing that. I'm not going to be uh, building a full on farm. That's not me. That's not what I want. But I am actively working to find ways where I can be freer, where I can spend less money on taxes. Because let me tell you, being self-employed, this is the first year I went ahead and I don't know anything about this crap. I've never done taxes self-employed except for at the end of last year. And mm -hmm. it worked out. I had a W-2. It was kind of easy. But this is the first full year of it. And I'm looking, I didn't know that I could, you know, pay estimated payments throughout the year and, you know, kind of actually plan as I was going. I just was saving money and then coronavirus happened, different things happened and that money's gone. And so now I'm stuck saving $600 every time I get a paycheck in hopes that I can make enough money or save enough money so that in April I'm able to pay the estimated taxes that they're telling me I have to pay. And oh, yeah. I think, honestly, what I want more than anything is for everyone to have to start taking their taxes out of their bank and saving them or sending them to the government in a check. That's what I want to see because that's, I mean, looking at the, your first paycheck and seeing uh, FICA taking all your money is a an experience that we've all had where we're like, who the fuck is FICA? But yes. yeah, yeah. And SSDI and everything else. And I think, yeah. I think not only that, I would actually advocate for that where the guy you are, the government will not, it's not a bank. It will not withhold your money for you. You have to hold it yourself. And then you have to, when you pay your taxes, you pay them on April. They, there's no extensions. You pay them by April 15th. That's it. And then the election is two days later. <laughs> we yes. vote on who we want to represent us two days after we all have to pay our taxes and we all have to withdraw thousands of dollars from a bank account to send it to these jackals i mean that i think is the the ideal way to really wake people up to all of that i think one of the things i mean go, going back way early to what we're talking about about the the anacat versus minarchist thing i think one of the things that really frustrates me about having these conversations is that not between you and i because I, I i agree but it's this issue of um most people can't have these conversations. Oh yeah, nuance is not a thing in in most people's minds. They're like, like, re, you're gonna use the government? You actually vote? And I'm like, yeah, dude, my action, my literal action, and my voting saved me like three hundred dollars on my property taxes next year, and yeah. the year after that, and the year after that, because it's a thirty year thing. So that means you know, thirty years times three hundred dollars per year that saved me a lot of money by pushing back on that so yeah i voted no i'm not i'm not trying to oversell my involvement in that i ran the social media for that campaign mm -hmm. there were three or four of us that killed those ballot measures if we hadn't done that everyone in my community in a town of 140,000 people every person renters everybody would have lost a lot of money for a very long time and then you'll run into ancaps like re you're voting and i'm like yeah obviously defensively obviously and we can talk about these things we can talk about the utility of why it works and how it works and how it doesn't and come up with better tactics and if 
If you want to be an agorist and you want to build your own build your own sustainable lifestyle, I have no problem with that. That's a great thing. You can reach people. We can talk about that and you can get more people involved in, in being able to do that, which is great. And I can talk to people in the political sphere and I can talk to them and try to get people out of that and try to talk about how we can make things more free and how this oppressive government really is screwing everybody and maybe wake those people up. And then, hey, we're one step closer to liberty because we're all working at different angles. I, that's also yeah. that thing, like, you know, the Scott Horton attack from the left, the left, the right from the right. And so many anarchists and libertarians and minarchists even don't see that. We're like, yeah, you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. And we're all trying to get people here to believe in things like the non-aggression principle and basic morality. Well, yeah. And that's, that's, I had a conversation with someone last night who was asking me why not why I wouldn't vote for president, but why I wouldn't join the Libertarian Party because I want to see it destroyed. And I was like, you know, yes, it's it's uh, I, I would love to see someone do that, but that's not me. And it's like, why wouldn't it be you? And I had another conversation like a couple months ago with a very conservative guy who asked me why I wasn't running for office. And it's like, that's one of those things for me is I think that people who were in the Liberty verse, because I abhor the phrase Liberty movement now because it died in 2012 and anyone who tries to co-opt it from this point is usually just really shitty at it. And I don't need it <laughs> because that's Ron Paul, man. But I think people within the Liberty verse need to understand how to communicate. We need to understand how to communicate with each other for one Yes, I will be hard on the left and I will be hard on the light, right for their beliefs and what they do, what they vote for, what they say. I'll always be hard on them for that. However, okay, I'm a Christian. One of the things in Christianity, in the Bible, it talks about how you don't judge the world for the standard that Christians have, right? Mm -hmm. So I, you, you aren't a Christian, so I don't expect you to live to the same moral standard that I have. You have a different moral standard, and that's fine. If you, But if you were a Christian, and you were doing something that went against the Christian moral standard, I would, I would mention that to you. I would be a little bit harder on you. And so I don't understand people who say, why are you so hard on other libertarians? Because the libertarians that are leading the conversations that I'm being hard on online are the ones who need rough correction. Call it tough love, if you will. But I'm going to be more openly, I won't say hostile, I will troll, but I will be more open open about the Libertarian Party's faults, of Nicholas Sarwark's faults, of all of these other faults, because that is someone not living up to the philosophy. And I'm not talking about a, you're not a real libertarian. I'm saying, you. there are basic things here that we agree on, and you're dragging in progressivism. What the fuck? So two two things. One, uh, I do have a, friends who are working on trying to start a more cultural side of libertarianism, and they they have called it the Liberty Movement. So I will put that a uh, give them that message of yours uh, on that on the Liberty Verse. <laughs> and then if I don't if I don't push back on that and say something, I'm going to get yelled at. So I have to say that. And then the other part is you're right. It's. I take it to the argument that I've had a, for a long time about government uh, accountability. Mm -hmm. The people. It's the. It's the issue that you run into this, with the state. So if you get, if you get pulled over by an officer for, for X, doesn't matter what X is. If you 
broke the law, you're expected to have known the law, right? Yes. If you don't know that if you don't know that X was illegal, it doesn't matter. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. But the way the system is set up is that if the officer doesn't know that X is legal and arrests you, ignorance of the law is an excuse. The people that yes. are supposed to know and enforce the laws aren't required to know and enforce it, but the people who don't know it are required to know it. It's a completely backward system. So I've argued for a long time that we need to fix that, but also we need to fix the problem where the people who are in the system, the people who swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution, have a stronger penalty or should have a stronger penalty than yeah. those who didn't. If you say, I'm, I believe in X, like Christianity, for example, and you don't uphold the virtues of Christianity, Obviously, a Christian has more reason to come after you than to come after me because I'm basically agnostic. I, I I don't subscribe to any faith, but I also don't tear apart them either. I I, I was never a 12-year-old atheist, so I had no reason <laughs> to go that direction. But I, I'm basically agnostic, and I've, I've been to synagogues and churches, and I'm, I can be respectful of whatever people want because I like human beings that are decent human beings. Yeah. But it's that argument. When libertarians stand up and they say, I'm a libertarian. Now, if you're just a person— at an event or just a person at something, it doesn't matter. But when you stand up and say, I'm a libertarian, I'm a libertarian, I believe in the non-aggression principle, I believe in these things, and then you don't actually put those messages forward and you don't actually fight for liberty and individual freedom, then not only are you doing a disservice to it by telling people the wrong things, by tarnishing the brand, by tarnishing the name, you're making my job harder. Yeah. You're making your job harder. You're making it harder for people to understand that libertarianism isn't just, you know, progressivism with a lower tax code yeah. you know it, it's a the, the left libertarians always like to talk about how oh the libertarian party is just a bunch of clan members who take their hoods off to smoke pot like whereas the, the left libertarians are just marxists who want to pay less in taxes you know it's 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 that thing where i don't even know what they what they want to be honest because they are just marxists there almost is no other side of it <laughs> but <laughs> It does everyone a disservice. So obviously, I, I've done videos about the Libertarian Party, about Spike Cohen. I, I've gone after them for certain things because obviously I disagree with Trump. I mean, I, I yeah. was polite to him earlier for, for rhetorical reasons, obviously. But obviously, I'm going to uh, uh, disagree with Trump. And obviously, I'm going to disagree with Biden. But if I was going to spend my time trying to educate Democrats or MAGA bots to vote, like I'm going to argue with the vote blue no matter who. Have you ever gone on to like a kamala harris tweet and tried to cock with somebody it's a waste of time it's all bots on both sides sounds like hell but in theory i can go on to a spike cone or george jorgensen thing and there are people who are not so inert in the partisanship in the system that you may be able to reach them you may be able to go oh okay yeah well why did you get people to vote against joe jorgensen or why did you this or why do you believe that and if you have honesty and integrity behind it people will listen and they will yeah. follow and maybe maybe if we attack enough of these cia plants and attack enough of these these people who can't you know chop down saplings <laughs> then perhaps then we can i'm making a sarwak joke for those who don't know uh, perhaps we can push liberty in a better direction we can push people more towards talking about the fed talking about anti-war talking about the non-aggression principle talking about those things that we're all supposed to care so much about as opposed to talking about who we're going to bend the knee for next yeah so yeah obviously yeah and so i mean that's 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 my stance is because you know i hear people make that argument i heard uh, in that andy craig uh quote-unquote debate Oof. with dave smith he was like why are you harder on um libertarians than you are on nick fuentes or uh, Kamala Harris or whoever, and I'm like, well, when Kamala Harris opens her mouth, when Nick Fuentes opens his mouth, when Ben Shapiro, name 
name your poison on the right or the left. When they open their mouth, they don't represent my philosophy that I have claimed. So, yeah, I'm going to push back at them, but I'm going to push back a lot harder and with a little bit more gusto to the people who are claiming to represent me. Yeah, I would actually go one further than that, because when I push back against libertarians, I push back against people who, you're right, claim to believe in the same ethos that I believe in. Yeah, the same core concepts. But we're also supposed to be on the same page. So when I can point out how we're not on the same page, it's supposed to matter more. But when I sit across from somebody who's vote blue no matter who or, you know, keep America great or whatever, you sit across from them, you're already in hostile territory. Like yeah. when you walk into an area that's already hostile, you don't walk in and start kicking over trash cans. You walk in and you look around and you go, okay, let me get my bearings. Let me see what's going on. Let me try to broach this. Oh, I like anecdotes, so I'll use one really quick. Back in 2003, uh, the anti-war protests that kicked off against uh, George W. Bush because we can always have war protests against Republicans, but the anti-war left just disappears under the left. All the protests are going off, and I hate protesters. I, I've been to a couple of protests. <laughs> I went to some anti-lockdown protesters, but I by and large hate protesters because everybody gets together and it's the lowest common denominator you take the, the you take the lowest iq person in the protest and you divide their iq by the number of people there and that's the average iq yes so it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous and so i went because i knew it was going to be a clown show i mean you had people there it's like supposed to be an anti-war protest but you got people there for like free mumia abu jamal and you've got all these people who are out there doing performative art and i just wanted to have fun so i had a sign made that had a mushroom cloud in the background and it said iraq today north korea tomorrow berkeley by thursday <laughs> and it was affixed to a baseball bat lapd took my bat from me because they were worried i was going to get beaten to death with it and i went through this protest and this dude walked up to me and he started screaming at me. He's like, you, you're wrong. You're terrible. And you need to read this book, blah, blah, blah. And this is back in 2003. So I had a Palm Pilot, a handspring visor, actually. And I pulled it out. And I'm like, what's the name of the book? And he's like, huh? And I'm like, what's the name? Of, you want me to read this? What's the name of the book? And I wrote it down. And then we, he yelled at me for a few minutes. And he, he, he fucked off. And then I, I followed the procession all the way down. And um, I was at, they were, I, all the celebrities. I, I, I kind of got around the gates of the backstage area and held my sign up in front of all the celebrities, which triggered all of them. And then the dude found the same dude found me later and he walked up with his throng of people and he looked biker ish, like pretty big guy and a big group of people all wearing leather leather. And he walked up to me and he stopped and he put his hand out and he apologized for being a dickhead because I was willing to talk to him, willing to have the conversation. Now, obviously I was there to troll him and trigger and I've explained what, what my purpose was. And we left on amicable terms. But I was in hostile territory. I knew I had to, even though I had this sort of you know, contentious trolling point, when he came up to me, I couldn't just yell at him. I had to take it very calm, very, very respectful and try to understand what he was saying in order to defuse the situation. That's, that's sort of the hostage negotiation situation I go into when I argue or talk to somebody from the left or the right, because I want to see where we have common ground and how I can get them out of the nerd position that they're in. Whereas if somebody already agrees with me, I can dispense with all of that. Yeah. All of that just, just goes away because no, dude, you said you believe you said you've read Rothbard, you've read Spooner, you believe in all these things, and you're not acting like it. So let's go. Now we're yeah. gonna box it out because this is ridiculous. And I don't, I don't know how so many people in the in the in the liberty uh, liberty verse, the liberty movement, how they don't <laughs> understand that premise of obviously I'm going to have a different conversation with Kamala Harris. I mean, if it's a good faith conversation, but like yeah. with Nick Fuentes or whoever, then I'm going to have with 
with Sarwak. I, I tried. I called Sarwak out at the convention in Orlando, and his aunt, because he claimed he wasn't going to chair the convention, so he abdicated his duties. And his response to me was, said, "Why are you here?" And his response to me was, "Fuck you. That's why." Well, congratulations. Gloves are off. Now we're going to yell at each other because that's a different <laughs> situation than if I'm talking to somebody you know who doesn't understand the basic ethos of what we're supposed to believe in. Yeah, and 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 that's that's. I do believe there are different people lack nuance. People can't have like an anarchist and a minarchist typically can't sit in a place too long without arguing about something and it getting heated, at least online. I think it's probably right. very different in person unless you're a Sarwark follower, um, obviously, or Sarwark himself, but vegetarians, but it's like, I talk about different things based on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to someone on the left, I'm not going to talk to them about the same things as I'm going to talk to someone who's a Trump, a Trump supporter. And I'm, I'm probably going to use honey rather than vinegar for those people. But even, be, but even beyond that, it's this thing that, that the, the fakertarian crowds, the any crowds of the world don't understand is that the real world is not online. And if you approach online the way you approach the real world, you'll live a much better life than you have approached the real world the way these idiots approach online. Yeah. Because I had this moment where I don't remember even what the tweet was, but I said I tweeted back to to Michael about something about Michael Malice and how oh it was about Freedom Fest, and I was like, hey, I would actually go to Freedom Fest to get a drink with uh, uh with Michael Malice, and he retweeted me and he said it's like. I can't get a you. I couldn't get a drink with you because you would drink mine. You're so thirsty. <laughs> and I was like, "Son of a bitch!" Like I, I wasn't gonna delete the tweet or anything else. I'm like, he just like that. And the thing is, I I looked at that and went, "God damn it!" That is something I would say to a friend of mine. Like that is right. like the snarky nonsense. Like that is the bullshit response I would take. And I couldn't get offended because I'm like, yeah, if the roles were reversed, I probably would have said something like that. And I couldn't get mad. And I couldn't get defensive. And I'm like, okay fuck and i moved on <laughs> with my day uh being being you know owned by by michael malice and it, it kind of it was like oh but at the same time okay that's fair but the thing is the reason i bring that up is that i looked at that not as somebody was mean to me on the internet and i need to yell at them it was like shit this guy just basically trolled me the way i would troll my best friend right like okay fair enough you've known me a good bit talking mm -hmm. to me face to face am i different than i am online no, no, I, and, but it's, I've talked to people I've, uh, over the course of this and there have been different people. I won't name names. Um, but there were a couple of people that I talked to, um, online and thought, wow, these people are pretty sharp and good online. And then I listened to a podcast and I was like, this is the driest shit I've ever listened to in my life. I yeah. How are these people the way they are on Twitter, but are this boring on their podcast? But I will say, let me share my most recent malice thing. I am followed by Michael Malice on Twitter. I hate. Oh, lucky. Um, but I'm such a nerd that I feel like that. Like I'm, 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 I'm losing out in that moment. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he's retweeted me a fair amount. But the the gold standard Michael Malice interactions on twitter is if you make him glow which is uh, g l o l genuinely laugh out loud I, oh oh i got one of those those are the best because the other day 
he he had said something about oh uh he'd retweeted tr- uh biden saying that he wasn't going to lift the president's tweet and i was i i just re- replied to malice you know well biden has 77 million less followers than trump how is he going to lift anything and of course in my mind this is also mentioning the fact that the corporate press constantly plays his tweets and goes over everything that he says like there's i find it hard to believe you could lift a Trump tweet. But uh, Malice responded, do you not believe in Venn diagrams? And I responded, Venn diagrams are a spook. And I got a glow. And that's, that, that is, that is my favorite. I think it's my second glow, but that's my favorite. Okay. Okay. So mine, so I'm going to, I'll nerd out for a minute. Mine was, uh, Malice was in a conversation that Nick Sarwak was involved in. And I jumped into it and I was arguing with Sarwak uh, Zarwak over a couple things and we started talking about principle and I said uh, you know the principle is supposed to matter and Sarwak said some a nerd nonsense about how the party <laughs> we, we care about going to party and Malice retweeted me with the screen grab of the Libertarian Party's website that said the party of principle in a response to Sarwak <laughs> on that with the whole thing with the glow and I was like yes uh, you know <laughs> I got my got my good retweet. I got my good retweet, but then he bitch slapped me with the other one because you know all that. Well, uh, but no, but but again, it's like I've had to talk about like what you're talking about with sounding the same as as you do online as in person. I've had people who have read and not even like long protracted things that I've written, but like short little things like comments. I've had people text me, be like, "How did I read that comment in your voice?" Like yeah. I saw like with the way you set wrote that I knew how to, what 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 emphasis what emphasis on what syllable you were going to use, and it was it's that thing where people I think can res- I think we want people to respect that and we want people to be able to be like hey who are you as a human being, and a lot of those the fakertarian dudes the Andy Craig types they don't have the empathy or the ability to realize that you would never do this outside the real world like you out in the real world you would never approach people this way and even this and this is where it's getting really interesting to me at least the world of and the world of zoom and and uh, podcasting always existed but zoom sort of broke it open the COVID thing really broke open this sort of communication style we're doing now in, in a much more populist way yeah and people treat this the way they treat the internet not the way the way not the way they treat normal human interaction really and I, 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 that's from at least what I've seen. And I feel like that's a disservice to humanity because it's, again, the problem of, well, you, you only say that because you've never been punched in the face. You know, you've, you've never been in a situation where you had to hold your tongue. You've never been in a situation where saying that would absolutely cause repercussions or problems. And so, <laughs> or how you say that would actually cause all hell to break loose. So you've never been in that situation, which is why you feel free to do this. And the people who grew up with that sort of Twitter mentality, that sort of, you know, Facebook world of that they can say whatever they want. Yeah. With this facelessness that now they have transitioned into this online zoomy world where they still do that. And I think it's going to cause a severe breakdown because when you see reactions and micro uh, micro expressions and how people respond and all the things of, of human interaction, it really changes. It really does differentiate. Like I in the at the Orlando convention, I had people walk up to me, and the way they are online versus the way they are in person is completely different because they're not used to a human being pushing back against them. They're used to a 
oh, new message. And then they run to Google and research their thing. And then they argue back and then they do something else and they argue back and they drop into their secret group and find a friend to give them <laughs> facts and memes. And then they argue back. Whereas in real life, you're like, no, you're wrong. And here's six reasons why. And they go, uh, uh, uh. And they actually push back and you show that real humanity exists. And these people, they just can't do that. Yeah. I think it's 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 interesting. And I think that's the problem we run into. That's that's what that's what I saw. At least that's what I took out of the the Dave Smith versus Andy Craig conversation, if we can call it that on Alliance of Liberty, because Dave seems like a normal dude. Yeah. Like I feel like if I was walking on the street and I saw Dave Smith, he'd be the same Dave Smith there as a Dave Smith that I've heard talking to Michael Malice. I feel the same way about Malice. Like they're the same dude no yeah. matter where they are. But these other people are just it's a mask they put on. It's a personality that they that they affect. It's it's that whether you're a jock or somebody in the uh, LGBTQ whatever community where that's your whole personality. These are the people, the most libertarian people who ever liberty and liberty's sake. That's what they believe of themselves, and that's the the persona they put forward, which is why they get so mad. I'm like, why didn't you push back against this, and why didn't you do that? I'm like, oh, that's because I'm a human being with empathy, and I <laughs> and I understand how communication skills work. That that's why. That's what? why. Also, I don't want to get punched in the face. <laughs> well, I'm glad you mentioned identity, though, because I have said this for years. I do think that at least my generation, but I think it it goes beyond that. There is a proud. Uh, profound lack of identity in people and so people that are in the pragmatist caucus in the libertarian party the people who are balls to the wall on twitter but are boring or whatever outside in their podcast in regular conversation i think that a lot of that has to do with that lack of identity because they need to have that like i think that when it comes to some of these people in the libertarian party these are low status People like I think Dave said this, or Malice might have said it, or Tom Woods, but these are low status people who are getting the smallest amount of power, the smallest amount of status, and that's what's keeping them going. I I think yes, but I think it's more than that they're low status because if you were to look at a CB and low eventually and all those things, <laughs> yeah. I yeah yeah that's a different thing. I as a human being am a low status human being. I am you know borderline you know borderline poverty ha you know for a long time sort of thing. Like yeah. I am lower lower middle class at best not at the peak of my life. And so I very live in that low status, no credentialing. I I'm not allowed within eye shot of the ivory tower. And yet the difference is I don't let that define me. Yeah. It's people that are both low status and have no self worth and no identity and have and no identity. And that's the problem because they look at that world and they want to be part of it. And that's how they think they'll get status. And that status is their identity, is their personality. And you see this in everything. I saw this in youth organizations and fraternal organizations. You'd see people that all they cared about was the titles and the awards and the medals and all yeah. of that crap. And that's how that it's the the Al Bundy thing you know, 40 years later and it's still, and I scored four touchdowns in one game. You know, like, dude, yeah, I get that. But that was a long time ago. Like, what have you, like, who are you now? And you don't have to be, you know, a CB chasing person. You can, you can just be somebody who's like, yeah, I, I just am a human being who likes other human beings or I care about this or I'm that. Like when you ask somebody, how do you identify yourself? Like, who are you? People ask me that, and I'm like, I don't have an answer. And there was yeah. an article at the the local college when this whole lawsuit that was started, you know, really kicked off in my town, uh, where my city suing me. And uh, the local college interviewed me, and she was like, "Well, how do you define yourself? Do you consider yourself a journalist?" Yeah, I asked all these questions. I just stood, there, sat there, and I was like, "Um, 
I don't. Like, I don't define myself in almost any way. Like, I've got different facets. I mean, if, you, if you, people can't see, but like, I've got a taxation is death flag behind me, and I got a Lego poster and alcohol posters, and there's me seeks and Atlas shrugged and uh, Spider from Trans Man, all this random stuff. Like, I'm a part comic book nerd. I'm also like to read. I also like this. I also I'm huge into movies. All those things, and those are all part of what define me. So, if I were in the Liberty verse the liberty movement or the libertarian party or whatever that's not who i am that would just be a part of my life and those low status low t people who have no self-identity that's how they define their entire existence yeah. and that's 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 the hard part to get past and you, again you see that everywhere you see that in the in the gay community with the people who like it's not that you just like you can it's not that you just know that they're gay you with these dudes and you're like why is that your whole personality or the jocks you know yeah. the water wax water polo wax when i was in high school it's like those guys that's their entire personality cool you you scored four touchdowns in a game okay what else you got and we just happen to see that a lot in the libertarian party yeah. in the libertarian world because the libertarian world also i believe is so small that those people can rise up to the top it's the the, the big fish in the small pond they're not even big fish in this pond but they think they are and they want to rise up which is also i think why they hate dave smith so much because <laughs> you know you make that pond bigger and they become more irrelevant and people start noticing how irrelevant they are and that's their biggest fear absolutely well, I know you have to go because you have a date with a boy, um, but it got it got canceled. But yes, I do. <laughs> but but um, I do want to ask you two questions before we cut this bad boy off. Uh, one, yeah. how low status was it that we both just compared Michael Malice Twitter interactions with each other? <laughs> I don't care. It was funny. <laughs> I don't care either. And well, that's the thing. Like, I I had this kind of realization not that long ago. Again, I won't name names, but I reached out to a slightly higher tier libertarian personality. And I was like, hey, you know, I I wanted to have you on my show. I think some people that I talked to wanted you to be on there. And I didn't even get a chance to get a response from that person. I got a response from his assistant who sent a very form email to me saying no. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment and I've had some other moments that I, I won't go into because I'm not someone who's going to call anyone out for things that aren't important. But I had, there's another person out there who constantly is uh, stealing my tweets or memes and using them to his bigger audi audience. And I don't get mentioned or anything like that don't care whatever it is what it is i'm gonna just not be as open to that and make sure everything's so in my voice that you couldn't read it in any other voice because that's always been important to me my voice has always been important because i write the same way i talk the same way i tweet <laughs> well i don't well okay let's go back for a second i don't think us talking about malice is is, is necessarily low status just because did, did you listen to the episode where dave smith and malice were talking about uh hans herman hoppy yeah. And how Malice got an interview with Hoppy and nobody gets interviews, but he managed to get one. And he was talking and he talks all the time about how they're the very, very failed podcaster, Dave Smith, uh, Tom Woods. They talk about how, how very failed he is. Yeah. But they talk about their interactions like Malice, like I get these interactions or I talk to these people or what have you. That's just people who are looking at people that are maybe of a higher status or a higher you know uh, level in certain circles 
and being able to communicate with them. I mean, let's be malice is like we're here and malice is way higher. So the fact that there's an interaction, it's just a cool little thing. If yeah. we were at malice's level, if I was able to get a drink with malice and just, you know, just talk to the dude as a human being and was at his level, then I probably wouldn't be talking about my interactions with Michael Malice. I'd be talking about how I interacted with a very failed podcaster, Tom Woods, yeah. <laughs> or how I interacted with somebody else. Because as you move up in status, the people that are impactful in your interactions move up proportionally as well. So yeah. I don't think that's too much of that. Now, as far as people stealing content, that blows, man. Yeah. That's just that's just punching down nonsense. Yeah, I'm not going to call anyone out for that, but... It is something that's been weighing on my um, level of patience lately. Um, but no, and you're, and you're right, because I, I need to see, because I do look up to Malice. I do admire the guy. And so it's kind of like, do you remember about a year ago, or maybe it was more, where the trailer for, um, what was the name of that star, last Star Wars movie? The, the last Skywalker, the... The, the, yeah, 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 the, the, yeah, whatever, the, whatever the last one was called. I think that's right. That yeah. terrible freaking movie. Um, but the, some, the big letdown. Yeah. But there was a guy, a nerd online who was crying because he was so excited. And everyone piled onto him. And everyone mm -hmm. talked about how sissy he was or weak or whatever. And uh, there was one girl out there who was a fairly hot woman who was like, you know, and my, I think Malice has said this before, too. The worst kind of person is someone who sees someone enjoying what they enjoy and being happy and talking about what they enjoy and then proceeds to shit on it and try to take away their joy. And so, you yeah. know, you know, for me, interacting with Malice is a joy and I'm happy to share that with you. <laughs> Well, I, I will take issue with that premise, though, because there is no way on God's green earth that I am not going to shit all over furries. Oh, yeah. No, I will. I will. I will literally <laughs> shit on furries. Um, they'd like it, though. So, yeah, I got a, I got a, I got a, a specific uh, history with some of those people working in a comic shop. You son of a gun. You can't mention that at the end. You cannot mention. <laughs> this is the hook to, to have you back on, isn't it? Okay. Well, final final so, question. I have asked this of mm -hmm. every person that I've interviewed in the last what month or two. Okay. Okay. You live close to Hollywood. You probably have 20, seen twenty five miles. Yeah. Seen more celebrities in person than I have. Um, there is a lot of anti pedophile stuff going on, which I I applaud. I want all of them to be outed and caught. But here's my question: of all of the celebrities or politicians, popes, whoever, who would you feel the happiest to see outed as a pedophile and caught in that system? Who would give you vindication? Who's the person out there that you're like, that person touches kids? Um, I don't know. I, I Some of them just seem too obvious. Like some of the, the, the religious leaders or the politicians just seem too obvious. I think the one that would be the most interesting, though, would be Tom Hanks. Yeah, that was mine. Sim simply because it would break so much of the system. Yeah, it would break so it would break open the floodgates on that. I think that would be probably the the most holy shit one that people would think about, except for Keanu. No, I think that. <laughs> oh god, that would that would hurt me. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that one would hurt. Yeah. But yeah, mine has been Tom Hanks. For years, I've said something is too nice about this guy. Something puts me off and I'm skeeved out by Tom Hanks. In recent days, people are going, is Tom Hanks a pedophile? Especially after talking about after Ricky Gervais's joke. Yeah, I I feel like the the Keanu one would hurt me. That yeah. one would that one be painful. <laughs> well, and I mentioned one that someone said was there because that's my usual follow up question is who would hurt the most? Yeah, that one would be bad. Uh, actually, somebody who actually did get me too that hurt was uh, um, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, that one I hurt. Understand be- that. And, uh, because the first time my wife and I kissed was when we saw it was November 29th, ninth, nineteen ninety seven, when we saw Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, hmm. uh, which is a, a movie. There's actually a you can't see it. In the, you can't even see it right now. But there's actually a sign behind me. If you watch ever watch my show, there's a sign that's a Stella Artois sign that's mm-hmm. that Santa hits behind me that has that I has a uh, the hourly struggle and the episode number on it, and that's actually from Trigger Street Productions, which was Kevin Spacey's production company back when they did pro- the original like Project Greenlight sort of thing, when Stella Artois partnered with him to do short films for independent filmmakers. So that signs from that. So when he got added, it was like, ah. Oh. Do I get rid of this stuff? Nah, yeah. I keep it. I don't care. You know. <laughs> so I think that that one hurt. Keanu is a pedophile. That one would that one break my soul. I would probably stop watching movies for a long time after that. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll tell you because I'm sure you're curious, but for me, it would be Steve Martin. Oh, that's a good one. Too. I would yeah. I would die. Yeah. There will. I think that the only quote unquote celebrity that will make me cry when they die is going to be. I said quote unquote because it's Ron Paul. Like I'll, I'll pr- mm. I might cry when Ron Paul dies, but. If I found out that the funniest, my favorite comedian of all time, <laughs> Steve Martin, was di- diddling kids into my life. Oh, yeah, that would be that would be hard. I saw him with um, what Martin Short um, at the at the fair with a friend of mine. We saw them during their the tour they did. And yeah, watching having that come out about him, yeah, having, having to not, having to look at the banjo in a, in, a, in the wrong way again, that would be that would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah, be, be, I'm pretty close to Hollywood. I've seen a lot of celebrities over the years. I used to volunteer at the Egyptian Theater, so I've seen my my fair share for when they used to do premieres and whatnot. The only celebrity that ever caught my attention that I was like, oh, damn, was um when I was like three feet from, what's her face, uh, Natalie Portman, mm-hmm. because she is way more gorgeous in person than she is on screen, and that was just one of those, holy God. She was like moments. my first real um, Hollywood love mine was no that's not i can't know that was way longer than that i okay teen late teen years uh it would have been her it would have been kira knightley and her uh which i didn't even realize they were both in star wars together until years later <laughs> but those no my first hollywood love was christina ritchie okay um wednesday adams yep when i was a kid so <laughs> yeah 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 all right oh that would suck too yeah all right so we got to go. You have to yep. not go on a date with a boy now. So you, you faked me out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Before we go, I just... please tell the the three or four retarded people that listen to my show where to find you on Twitter, uh, your YouTube, what to type into YouTube or where else, wherever else you want them to find you. So I can be found on most social media nonsense and what have you under the username of Hourly Struggle. So like the clock hour, so hourly struggle. Um, that's Twitter, Facebook, uh, Parlor, I think, MeWe, <laughs> Minds, Ugh. OnlyFans, Pornhub. I'm not even joking about those. Um, I'm not going so to look at those last and, two. 
I just put my regular episodes on there just because it's a non... You know what's funny? Uh, I actually had a video. It was an anti-Amash video about how he's LARPing for the presidency and Pornhub struck it because they said it was talking about um, decapitation or something. Which I don't even know where that came from. But I, I've never had a... I had a YouTube strike for one content thing because I was during the uh, Spike Cohen trans video. I had just copied all the links and I'm going to not do that on YouTube anymore, but I copied all the links just into the description because I used to do that for so people knew what I was talking about. And I accidentally had a link in there that was to this trans dating site, which basically means just porn, because <laughs> one of the victims, that was the only way I was able to find any data about them was through a reverse image search. And they struck me for that because it was, you know, it's a sex site, essentially. And I had to delete that. But that's the only strike I've ever gotten from YouTube. Pornhub took an entire video of mine down. The, the bastards but no uh you can find me on youtube at the hourly struggle uh all that stuff so patreon everything it's all in it. I, I use the same name everywhere see i do so. the same thing it makes it really easy because you know i'll i'll tell those four people the same thing i tell them every week if you want to find me type this is mlga anywhere you can also email me if for some reason you're a luddite and still use that kind of technology at cam at mlga network.com but really twitter's the best place that's where i'm i'm saying the most retarded bullshit so uh thank you so much for coming on i appreciate it i've been meaning to do this for so long and it's just it's it's not worked out until now so uh thanks for having me one of the things i'm considering doing and i'll i'll put you on the spot here is to have people on that i like more regularly so instead of always looking for a new person to talk to have a little rotation of people that are known entities and fun to talk to are you up for maybe coming on more often? Yeah, I can. I can manage that. I have to, you know, bribe the wife with a uh, uh, whatever she is going to demand from me. It, <laughs> it's a it's a sliding scale. The more the more episodes I do, the more she's going to want. So yeah, I'm sure we can arrange arrange to have conversations about various things. <laughs> Man, here and I was hoping you were going to say no so I could cut it cut the episode right after you said no. But it is what it no. is. No. All right. No. <laughs> talk to you again why would i talk to an inferior beard more than once <laughs> okay one last question because i'm a, i'm a whore for this what is your favorite thing about me my favorite thing about you honestly i would say i don't want to go into too much depth about it with the people who may not know so the secret group that we're in on facebook to how we met um there was there were people who we did a secret santa which was just a thing just to do. But there were people who needed help with things and you helped broker actual charity for people who needed it. Uh, somebody who had family that was coming in and it's the actual humanity that's behind you. Like oh. the actual ability to want to help out other people once you look past the the sarcasm and the veneer because i have that as well i have that that cynical sarcasm talk shit you know joke about things as well but i also try to see the humanity and what exists and that's honestly why i stayed in that group i, I did leave for a very short time because there was a huge blow up between myself and somebody else and whatever but then it then was I, a minarchist I, I, anarchist I, debate i'm pretty sure it, it probably was <laughs> but every time i think i'm out they pull me back in and but that was really what brought me back in, back into that was that it was the the, the the knowing that there was a core group of people that you had brought together and spearheaded really that if somebody had an issue you would actually try to solve it try to help it it wasn't just internet bluster and internet bullshit and i and i really did appreciate it. that's what i appreciated the most oh. honestly in knowing <laughs> you're you. the first person to not say my beard and i know it's because you have this ill-founded idea that yours is better but i'll take it and i actually do really appreciate that <laughs> i'll wipe the tears away um but 
everyone who's listening. No homo. <laughs> Little homo. Thank you for listening, and as always, stay sane. Yeah.